0: This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Douglas Paget, Associate Surgeon-in-Chief at Hospital for Special Surgery and Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Weill Cornell Medical College. Dr. Paget, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me, Laura, and uh, good afternoon to you as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, before we dive into my questions, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background.
1: Oh, Sure. So, um, Laura, I'm uh, an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I actually had the good fortune of being a resident at the hospital for special surgery and uh, did a fellowship in adult reconstruction and joint replacement at the Rush Presbyterian Medical Center in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, After a couple of years working at the Naval Hospital in San Diego in uh, the mid-1990s, I actually came back to HSS uh, and have been there for the rest of my professional career. Um, I, up until 2019, uh, was in charge of running the uh, joint replacement service. Uh, At the time, we were a service of approximately uh, 24 surgeons. We have now expanded, and we are over 30 uh, staff surgeons that do joint replacement. Um, My current title is uh, Associate Surgeon Chief, I probably best thought of as the vice chair of the department. I have a couple of specific things that i'm charged with um, one of which is overseeing the quality programs uh, at hss so this includes our peer review process and credentialing process and the other thing that's actually very exciting uh has been um, a, a really um very gratifying to me personally that's been uh as we've uh, continued our uh expansion of our musculoskeletal care program uh, that we deliver at HSS, this includes not only regionally, but now as we expand into new markets, and this includes uh, Florida. Uh, we're at uh, a couple of sites right now, and the plan is uh, continued expansion right there. So an exciting point of time, uh, point in time for us, and um, you know that's where I sit.
0: Fantastic. And, you know, I know it was huge news um, to know that Hospital for Special Surgery was heading into the Florida space and, and really, um, you know, growing their presence there. So I'm excited to see how that goes over the next few years. Likewise. Okay. Now, I know we're headed into 2023. There's a lot happening both in healthcare and in the U.S. at large. What are some of the biggest issues that you're following today and in, in really spending most of your time thinking about?
1: So I, I think it's important to set the stage a little bit. It just uh, you think about musculoskeletal disease, and quite frankly, what what that burden is, and, and that's how I think I'm always reminding myself of the significance of that. You know, as a reminder, um, you know, musculoskeletal ailments are, are the leading source of disability. Twenty-two uh, percent of absenteeism uh, in the United States are related to musculoskeletal conditions. This includes low back issues, shoulder injuries, and things like that, as well as the development of osteoarthritis. Uh, and it's among the largest drivers of healthcare costs, growing over 6% annually. So it's, it's a big burden, I think, if we think of this nationally here in the United States. With that as backdrop, you know, some of the bigger issues are, quite frankly, due to the external environment. So in, in 2023, I think everyone needs to be reminded we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, It had, uh, again, if you go back three years in March of 2020, it had a profound effect upon us uh, in the New York City area. Uh, We actually turned HSS, which was a musculoskeletal hospital, into a COVID hospital. We worked collaboratively with our partners at Wild Cornell and the New York Presbyterian Network, and we took overflow COVID patients. So we were able to transform our orthopedic center into a COVID hospital. The good news is we no longer need to do that, but we are still battling elements of the pandemic. Um, In addition, there's a tremendous amount of economic turbulence. I think it would be an understatement to say that the most recent year, 2022, was a challenge economically and all the powers that be suggest we may be going into a recession. And obviously there may be implications as it relates to funding, as well as the economic side of uh, healthcare, uh, there's a lot of regulatory reform. Um, that's again ongoing issues, changing uh, competitors in the landscape. You know, uh, I don't think any of us would have thought five to ten years ago that uh, Amazon and CVS would, would get would be getting into the healthcare space. But we uh, that are working at, you know, large systems and in our instance, a very large musculoskeletal hospital are recognizing that our competitors are changing dramatically. And then finally, there's lots of consolidation in the market. There's no more single practice groups. There's larger groups that are consolidating. There's a lot of consolidation among the payers as well. And with that, um, they are able to. Uh, exhibit downward pressure on reimbursement and rates. And so that all of that has had a profound effect uh, on healthcare and healthcare delivery, and, that, and those are the major things that we're battling at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing to think about, you know, how much the COVID-19 pandemic changed and then the ripple effects that we're still seeing from all of that, um, you know, and especially when you look at a specialty like orthopedics, um, you know, there there's just a lot of different, uh, different challenges that um, have arisen since then and continue to uh, be a part of the everyday life um, for, the, for orthopedic surgeons and organizations. So it's really interesting to, to think about all of those things. And when you look ahead over the next year or so, is there anything that you plan to do differently as you see some of these challenges on the horizon still?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, you know, we're excited uh, and, I, and I would almost frame this about, you know, things that we can perhaps be more uh, forward looking about, uh, you know, as we start um, at our institution. Uh, the things that I, I think we're really energized about and really have been fast forwarded by the pandemic are changes in healthcare delivery, specifically in regards to innovation. Um, we've expanded our points of care. And I think for any institution or system, uh, that's a must. What we learned from COVID is people don't like to travel longer distances. They want to be a little bit closer to home. You know, part of that was probably already uh, in effect pre-COVID, but I think it got fast forwarded due to the effects of the pandemic. Um, We've strongly, you know, recognized and integrated many of our Allied health professionals and advanced um, practice providers into our, our workflow and our ability to evaluate patients and, and musculoskeletal care. So, this is something that at our institution was probably not as prevalent several years ago, five years ago, certainly 10 years ago. But at this point, um, we are working very effectively using both physician assistants, nurse practitioners, and the like um, to deliver care. Um, in many of our sites that are remote from our main campus. Uh, The other thing is that, you know, we have started to use data uh, to augment shared decision-making. We've been very fortunate. We have a very robust registry as it relates to joint replacement. Using that information, um, we have a a very refined data data analytics analytics team uh, that has been able to be very, good and robust at predicting things like length of stay complications and the like. Using that uh, with our patients, we've been able to develop uh, shared decision-making tools. So when someone has, for example, osteoarthritis of their knee or of their hip and is contemplating surgery, but they have concomitant medical comorbidities, obesity, diabetes, you know, heart disease and things like that. We can give them with fairly high reliability a good snapshot of what their post op recovery trajectory is going to be. You know, how they as an individual patient are going to, you know, recover from the surgery. What are the time points within reason at certain metrics? What are you going to look like in four weeks or six weeks? What are you going to look like in three months? And what's the predictability that you'll be able to? achieve your own personal goals based on that. So again, a little bit fast forwarded by the pandemic, it's helped us, it's pushed us forward with using a lot of these things. Uh, The other thing that I'm really excited about is um, the recognition of the natural history of musculoskeletal disease. I think as an orthopedic surgeon, we are really, really good at taking care of patients in that last 95% of their journey. You know, osteoarthritis has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And at the end, replacement surgery is unbelievably effective. And it is, uh, w- without a doubt, extremely cost-effective as a measure. But what leads up to that last 5% of that journey? And uh, I think as we continue to understand and what are appropriate interventions and allowing people with Again, degenerative arthritis of their hip, their spine, their knee, getting them into non-surgical programs has been um, super exciting, engaging them in our own particular system. Uh, In addition, the recognition of some of the comorbidities that I mentioned before, you know, diabetes, obesity, smoking, substance abuse, things like that. Um, We are uh, in the midst of launching what we call our Lifestyle Management Program. This is being spearheaded by one of our providers, Dr. Heidi Prather. And this is, again, an attempt to take care of the whole patient, not just go in and do a knee replacement and kind of lose track of many of these other very significant uh, aspects of their overall care. I almost like to think is that the surgery itself, in conjunction with that whole surgical episode is a great point for patients, quite frankly, to have a, a little bit of a, an ability to pivot in terms of their life and sort of you know, refocus and re-energize and get their general health um, in order. Uh, the other thing that we're doing, again, probably because of the, a little bit of the pandemic, and I mentioned it before about expansion in, into new markets, um, this has given us an opportunity to rely upon our own network. Um, We're one of the bigger and we are the oldest residency program in the United States. Um, We are certainly very fortunate. We've got super talented bench of trainees uh, and uh, this has been a great pipeline for us. So within our organization, we're extremely fortunate to be able to take these highly qualified men and women and uh, have them work within the institution Uh, and to deliver what we think is the best in musculoskeletal care.
0: That's fantastic, and really some great examples of different things that you're doing to expand how you're delivering care to patients and the opportunities for them to get great care. Now, when you look at the year ahead, is there anything else that you're excited about, and what makes you nervous?
1: Well, I think you, you heard me. Most of my excitement, again, is about the expansion into new markets, the use of data, I think um, many of of those things, the ability again to to recruit young, uh, talented men and women uh, onto our team, uh, there's no question that's like unbelievably exciting. Uh, There's really three things that I get nervous about. I'm not in general a nervous person, but um, these are things that um, keep me up at night, so to speak. You know, one are the challenges of the cost of delivering healthcare, okay? So it's it's reimbursement costs of, um, you know, delivering that care at different sites. Um, It's become a a big challenge, a big challenge to meet our targets, um, you know, produce the margins that we are comfortable with that allows us to expand many of the programs that we support um, within our own institution. Uh, The second that is really um, front and center now or staffing-related issues. Um, we just uh, got out of, a, thank goodness, a relatively short nursing strike that went on here in the greater metropolitan area. Um, but there's no question, um, there is a critical shortage of uh, good healthcare personnel in the form of nurses, surgical technicians, medical assistants, and, and the like. And, um, I think many organizations are challenged uh with that, and you know we're doing more with less in terms of people power uh and I think what happened recently in New York um was just kind of the tipping point. um People were frankly a little bit burnt out from covid um many people are leaving the profession, so um certainly very concerned about. It our ongoing staffing issues we are doing fairly well at our own institution but I know um we could be you know we still have a a, a certain <laughs> vacancy level that we've been challenged with as other institutions have so um you know we're, we're trying to recognize the the tension as it relates to staffing obviously that translates into overall wellness for the staff and uh, happiness um, as and measured by, you know, lots of different, you know, net promoter scores and things along those lines. We've been fortunate to able to maintain very high net promoter scores among our, our personnel, uh, but again, I see it an ongoing challenge for sure. And then the last thing that makes me most nervous as we expand to other sites uh, has to do with the quality of the products that we're. Living quality of care. The minute you expand beyond your main campus, we want to ensure that the quality of everything that we do is not changed. So in our own place, we want to make sure that the patient experience at our Hospital for Special Surgery facility in Stamford, Connecticut is the same as that in New York City, is the same as that in West Palm Beach, Florida. And so um, we need to Continuously monitor the quality of the of the delivery of care that we're doing, uh, and just to ensure that um, there's no uh, no changes and no deviations from our expectations of delivering top notch care.
0: Absolutely, that's fascinating, and I can imagine just a whole different process than um, you know when you were operating more locally in New York City. Um, And and when you think about having that customer service and patient experience, you know, more or less as much as possible, being consistent throughout, um, how do you scale and standardize across multiple regions, Um, you know, from a a leadership standpoint, what's most important, I guess, for leaders who are trying to do something like that um, to make sure they have prepared as, as they work through some of those challenges?
1: Well, I, I think that the challenges for lots of organizations is to really understand a, a little bit of what their own personal value proposition is, right? So understand the, the costs of the delivery of the, of the care that they're providing, and then finally get a good sense of what's the quality of the care that they provide. And that can be, and, and you can certainly compare it institution to institution. We spend a lot of time focusing on not only our institutional scores and reputations and quality, but also to give feedback to the individual providers. Okay. And a lot of that is, is based upon many of the metrics that um, you know, people are aware of. So, for example, on joint replacement side of the equation, you know, you know issues such as reoperation and readmission rates and infection rates and things like that. We also spend a lot of time and focus a lot of our energy on the HCAP scores. So, patient-reported scores in terms of was my physician engaged? Did I get the proper information? Did they spend time with me and things like that. So, we give that feedback. So, outcome data to all our providers, as well as that patient experience data. And so once you understand that, I think at a, at a level when you, you know, healthcare executives understand that for their product lines, because that's in general how I tend to look at you know, different things or different services at HSS, um, you have a good understanding of that. Um, then you just try to replicate it at, at these other sites. So it's all about data, it's all about outcomes, and it's all about transparency in, tra- you know, in sharing that um, information with the people on the staff that you have. And I think in general what it does is it, it really allows people to rise up. Um, you know, they, they see what their own, for example, report card is and how they are doing compared to their peers both within the institution as well as externally. So I I think it is a great motivational uh, technique for um, individuals.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Dr. Paget. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I just have one more question for you. As we've talked about, there's so much changing in the healthcare space. And when you think about leadership, you know, what will healthcare leaders need to be successful over the next few years, um, especially as the environment changes, are there any skills or things that they need to do to prepare to be successful going forward?
1: You know, um, There is a a great saying by a a wise philosopher by the name of Yogi Berra, and Yogi said, you know, it's very difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. So um, I always think about that when I'm asked to think about what the next two to three to five years looks like, Uh, but I'll take my best guess. I, I think leaders in healthcare need to recognize a couple of things. Certainly, as it relates to musculoskeletal care in orthopedics, if there are Um, hospital leaders that are listening to this podcast, number one is the obvious transition to outpatient. Everything is going to outpatient for a variety of different reasons. So I think what you need to do is recognize that can't really fight it. You've got to go with the trend, but when you're going with the trend, make sure that the quality of the delivery of what you're doing is just the same, if not uh, better, as an outpatient uh, as you used to provide on the inpatient side. Uh, the second we touched on it before, understand your value proposition of all of the services you provide. Look at the cost, quality, and again, come up with your value proposition and then track that and follow it. Because I think it, in the end, it'll be uh, really important as you're dealing with payers, as well as just you know, understanding what's going on on your, your own internal staff. You mentioned it before, we're ever increasingly focused on the consumer, in this case, the patient. But that patient is really a healthcare consumer, so we need to be very consumer-centric. Uh, um, I, I had a recent experience where um, someone was telling me that um, the the good news was that it was only a 30-minute wait in our x-ray unit uh today and that was a lot better than a couple of months ago when it was an hour and a half and um i think that person was looking for praise and i just said would you be happy waiting an extra 30 minutes for something you know people want convenience of delivery of care um and you know th- they want to deliver it in a timely fashion so again the continued recognition that we're in a consumer environment and if you want to be successful you have to cater to the consumer. And then finally, uh, in the big picture, um, you know, I I think that there is certainly a role for consideration of diversification of your own revenue stream as it relates to your own hospital system, um, your own department, whomever. Um, I think we've been forever uh, married to the concept of this very transactional relationship, uh, fee for service. You you have this condition. I can fix it with an operation or some intervention and things like that. I think that diversification of revenue stream is probably focused more on a greater understanding of again the whole concept of musculoskeletal disease. And as I described it earlier, there's a beginning, there's a middle, uh, and there's an end. And I think there's an opportunity to help people along that journey at lots of different time points. And I think that's gonna be a much more important focus as we go forward into the next decade.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Paget, for your conversation today. This has been a really interesting discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: Well, Laura, thanks for your time. And uh, it was my pleasure to spend some time with you and the group.